You're listening to sermon audio from First Baptist Church, Van Alstine. For more information about First Baptist Church and our services, please visit www.fbcva.com. Now here's Pastor Mike. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, this morning we're going to conclude uh, our Sunday morning series called Hold Firm. And uh, in this series, we have been getting a grip on the confession of our faith. This series started uh, way back in the fall of last year. There are 18 articles, and while we haven't looked at each of them individually, uh, we have been in this series uh, for nearly 16 weeks, if, I'm, uh, if my math is right. And I appreciate you sticking with me through this. I think it is important. I'm more convinced than ever that it's important that we know what we believe and why we believe it. And uh, if we as a church say that we hold to the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, then I think we should know what it says, right? And uh, I do want to say how much I appreciate the feedback that I've received from many of you throughout this series of messages, not just in the form of uh, an affirmation to say, hey, good sermon, Pastor, uh, but to let me know the things that you've learned and uh, of the things that have maybe been confirmed in your heart and uh, in in your beliefs uh, through this series of messages. I do want you to remember as we conclude the series uh, that any man-made confession uh, submits to Scripture. All right, We are first and most importantly people who hold to the authority of Scripture. Uh, it's our belief that the Baptist faith and message clarifies for us biblical truth that we hold uh, to be very important. And, uh, and so I, I do want you to bear that in mind. I want to remind you of Titus chapter 1, verse number 9. A verse of scripture that I hope, again, that you have committed to memory throughout this series of messages. And once again, I've removed some of the words for you. So uh, let's, uh, let's say it together. Titus chapter 1, verse number 9. Can we hit that next slide? There we are. It says this. Let's do it together. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Now, I heard a few of you saying watermelon and cucumber at those blanks, all right? Okay, let's just be honest now. Um, and I know, hey, trust me, I, some of you that are older, I know what you're thinking. My, my, my memorizer just doesn't work like it used to. Christy and I are, are trying together to uh, memorize the book of Galatians this year. I'm on like verse 8 so far, and so I got, I got a ways to go, okay? There are a lot of verses in the book of Galatians, and uh, that's because this old brain doesn't work quite like it used to. Let me go ahead and fill in the blanks for you, and let's say it together once again. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. I want to take you all the way back to the first message of this series. Remember, we asked the question rhetorically, why is it that we can't just say, we believe the Bible? Well, if you've been watching uh, the recent drama that's, uh, I think, two weeks into a six-week series on David Koresh and the Branch Davidians in Waco, I want to remind you that David Koresh would have said, we believe the Bible. The KKK will tell you, we believe the Bible. Okay, so yes, we believe the Bible, uh, but, but we need to further clarify what we mean when we say that. Okay, people often take scripture and they twist it to their own liking and they, they form it into what they want it to be or what they want it to say. And they would say, like us, we believe the Bible. 
And so we want to clarify some of these things through this series of messages. Now today we come to article number 18. It's one that has uh, actually been added, uh, one of the most recent articles that was added on the family. And we'll talk about that in just a few moments. But Ephesians chapter 5, I actually want us to pick it up in verse number 21. In most of your Bibles, uh, there's a little break in the action here. Um, Paul is writing to the Ephesians and he is encouraging them, challenging them to be imitators of God, to walk worthy of their calling as children of God. And he's encouraging them to flee sexual immorality and the impurity of covetousness and and all of these kinds of things. And then he says, uh, be careful how you walk. As a believer, your walk is, is not just moving from point A to point B by putting one foot in front of the other. It's your manner of life, the way in which you live. And so he says, hey, walk carefully, uh, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time. And so it's in that context then that we come to verse number 21, and we're going to use that to get a running start into the end of the chapter here. He says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by washing of uh, of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh." This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And then we move into the first four verses of chapter 6, and we pick up the kids, all right? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so that's the key text we're going to use uh, for today as we cover Article 18 on the family. Now let's look at the wording of the article itself. I want you to know what it says and why it says what it says. God has ordained the family as the foundational institution of human society. It is composed of persons related to one another by marriage blood and adoption or or adoption. Marriage is the uniting of one man and one woman in covenant commitment for a lifetime. That's an important statement today, isn't it? It is God's unique gift to reveal the union between Christ and his church and to provide for the man and the woman in marriage the framework for intimate companionship, the channel of sexual expression according to biblical standards, and the means for procreation of the human race. The husband and wife are of equal worth before God, since both are created in God's image. The marriage relationship models the way God relates to his people. A husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. He has the God-given responsibility to provide for, to protect, and to lead his family. 
A wife is to submit herself graciously to the servant leadership of her husband, even as the church willingly submits to the headship of Christ. She, being in the image of God, as is her husband and thus equal to him, has the God-given responsibility to respect her husband and to serve as his helper in managing the household and nurturing the next generation. And there's a final paragraph that says this, Children, from the moment of conception, another important statement, right? From the moment of conception are a blessing and heritage from the Lord. Parents are to demonstrate to their children God's pattern for marriage. Parents are to teach their children spiritual and moral values and to lead them through consistent lifestyle example and loving discipline, to make choices based on biblical truth. Children are to honor and obey their parents. And so there is Article 18 on the family. Uh, I hope that you know, I hope that I've demonstrated to you in the, the nearly four years now that I've had the privilege of serving as pastor of this church that I love my family. I, I don't know that I can put into words how much I love my family. I love my precious wife. I love the four children that God has given to us. Um, I, I love my family. Uh, and I could stand here all day long and then some and talk about the blessings that have come through my family, through the joys that we've experienced as a family. But I could also talk probably about as long about some of the frustrations and the struggles and the challenges that come through family life. That's true for most of us. Uh, while family life affords us great joy and delight, uh, and just excitement. And I know that some of you are in, in one of those new phases of your life. You're like new grandparents. And so you're just like almost freaky weird right now because you're just overwhelmed with how amazing that is. See Stephanie Burge, okay? If you, if you're, if you doubt me on this, okay? I'm just telling you, it's, it's amazing as we move through these different stages of life, how it impacts who we are as individuals. Yes, she's still a mom, very much a mom, Okay. But I think she'd tell you now I'm first a grandma, okay? I mean, that's just how it is. I, I kind of look forward to the day when I get to be a grandpa, maybe, should God allow me to do that. But what scares me to death is I know the people who would have to become parents for that to, to be possible, okay? And, uh, so all in God's time, all in God's time, all right? We want to get ahead of ourselves here. Um, plus, I still have a seven-year-old, and that just still kind of blows my mind. But um, anyway, yeah, you just think about that. Aunt Addie, they're going to say, Aunt, at, at, wow, anyway, um, Ephesians chapter 5, it, it, to me, is one of the most beautiful passages in all of God's word, so instructive, and, and we've got to know that Paul writes about God's design for the family, and, 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 and this connection with Jesus and the church, and we need to understand and practice family life according to God's design, according to God's plan. Some of you might remember, I hope that you do, a couple of years ago we did a series of messages called The Architect, and we talked about God's design for the family, and how God is the architect that, that designed this whole thing that we call family, and so he has put a plan in place. I'm so grateful that God doesn't, uh, you know, he put this thing in his word and then say, well, you just kind of, good luck with that, you know, and doesn't give us any instructions for how we're to do family life. I mean, it's a subject that we see throughout God's word. And so it's very, very important, certainly to the heart of God. And so let's consider some elements of, of family life as it relates to this article and certainly to our text here in Ephesians uh, chapters five and six. Let's first look at the origin of the family. The origin 
of the family. According to Genesis chapters 1 and 2, the family is God's idea. It's God's idea. It's God's work. Uh, God has done a work to start the family. Uh, and, and, and that the family would be conceived. That's, that's all something that God did. Okay? And so this article, uh, the first line of the article, you'll notice said, God has ordained the family. God has ordained the family. And then it goes on to say that the family is the foundational institution of human society. Now, I think that we could pretty easily point to some of the things that are happening in our world today, uh, things that we would consider uh, social ills or just some of the, the, the challenges that we're facing as people today in a sinful, broken world, and we could point to the disintegration of the family unit as, as one of the root causes of that. I mean, things have been completely turned on their head, and, and, and people, will, they can see God's design, God's plan, but then so often they're willing to crumple that up and tow it in the trash. No, we'll do this our own way. We'll redefine this the way that we want to define it. And, and so we've got a lot of the problems that we do in our society. So let's remember from the outset that the family is God's idea. That speaks to the family's importance. It speaks to the family's value, uh, its origin. Let's consider secondly this morning the composition of the family. The composition of the family. And we're going to look at this in really in three areas. Let's first consider the composition of the family as it relates to just marriage itself. Okay, here in Ephesians chapter 5, in verses 22 and in 25, and then down later in verse number 31, Paul very clearly, very simply described the composition of marriage. And you'll notice here that he referenced either a man and a woman, or a husband and a wife. Man and woman, husband and and wife. It is God's design. It is God's plan. And you got to understand that, that there are those in our society today who certainly want to redefine marriage. They would tell us that God's plan, God's design is archaic. It's outdated. We've, we, gotta, we have a new plan. We need to redefine this thing. And so now we have some who would define the family as, or, or marriage as two men or two women or a, a polyamorous group. Okay, that means many loves. Okay, you may not be hearing that terminology much right now, but, but trust me, I, I believe that you will. Okay, and so we have a crazy, mixed-up world. Okay, and then if, if we're going to be God's people, if we're, if we're going we're to be his ministers of, of his grace, then we have to hold firm, lovingly, boldly, courageously hold our ground about what God's design is for the composition of marriage. One man and one woman, that's God's design. That's the composition as it relates to marriage. Now, what about the family unit itself? Okay, in today's vernacular, we sometimes say this is my unit, right? Okay, well, what exactly makes up a family unit? Well, we need to think here about the, the, the unit itself. The, the, the article, The Baptist Faith and Message, reads that the family is made up of persons related to one another by marriage, blood, or adoption. So first, marriage again. The man, the woman, by blood, the children that come from the union of that man and that woman who are produced by them. Now, we don't know with certainty if the writers of this statement intended it, but certainly we know 
that a family can also include others who live within that, that unit, we might say. And so if, if you have an aging parent, for example, who lives with you, then certainly you would say, this is my family unit. Or you may have, a, a, I know today it's very common for grandparents to, 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 to raise their grandchildren, as an example, for various reasons. It could be the death of a parent or any number of things. I was uh, in, in a pretty significant way uh, raised by my grandmother. My mom passed away when I was 12, just shy of my 13th birthday. My sister was nine. And so my grandmother lovingly kind of stepped into that role uh, during certain phases of our lives and became a very important part of our family, even beyond that of my nana or my grandmother. And so uh, we know that, that, that there can be others, okay, who make up that unit. Uh, but in, in, for the sake of this article here, it's saying that these are people who uh, are related to one another by marriage, blood, or adoption. Now, you can also have um, family friends that are especially close to you, and you would basically consider them family. Uh, we have some dear friends with whom we did ministry for a number of years early in, in our marriage and early in our ministry. And uh, while we were serving together in the same church, they adopted their two kids. Uh, and since that time, those two kids have called Christy and I Uncle Mike and Aunt Christy. Now, I'm not really their uncle, and Christy's not really their aunt, but that's what they call us. And so you may have some people like that within your family unit as well, just, you know, second sons and daughters. Maybe it's friends of your kids or something like that that have always just kind of looked to you as a, as a father figure or a whatever. My dad's story um, my dad uh, came from a broken home back in the day when it wasn't nearly as common as it is today, and so lacked a father figure in his life uh, for much of his growing up years, and so his grandfather uh, became uh, that, that person to him, that, that father figure. And so my dad uh, has, throughout the years, has pointed back to his papaw, who was very significant in his life. And so that is the, the family unit, and I love the fact that this includes adoption, you know, if we're going to be truly pro-life, we can't just be anti-abortion. I think we need to be pro-adoption, don't you? I think that's very important. There are alternatives to abortion. And, and I think that we need to do everything that we can to promote adoption. Uh, th there are couples, there are families who, who would long to have a child. And, uh, and there, there, many times there are things that prevent that from happening. And, and so I think we should also uh, promote adoption. And, and we see that here. And, and man, just think of the, the theological significance of that. Adoption is a great biblical concept, isn't it? How that even as sinners, we are adopted into God's family uh, by his grace. And, and, and he provides for us in that. All right, now, what about children then in this composition of the family? Well, the statement again reads, and I love this, it says, from the moment of conception, from the moment of conception, at that very instant, what did they become? They become a part of the family, part of the family that God has provided. I've always found it intriguing that when a young couple uh, learns that they are expecting a child, and they, they eventually go and have that sonogram done where they get the, you know, those first pictures, and now, man... I mean, they're pretty amazing, some of those 3D images that you can see. And I mean, you can almost make out facial features and everything. And so whenever they're showing those images to family and friends, what do they say? Check out our fetus. They don't say that, do they? No, they say, check out our baby. And then, and then you know, a little, little while later, they eventually learn the gender of that child. And so they'll go, we, we have a son on the way. We have a daughter on the way. 
I think that, 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 that there's something to that, that we recognize that is a life from the moment of conception. And I think we need to affirm and practice God's definition of the composition of the family. Now, here again, there's going to be some opposition. And I believe more opposition in the days ahead. What is it that makes up a family? Now, those of you who've been around for very long, you know that this has changed dramatically over the past uh, 20, 30, 40 years, for sure. I mean, you think back to some of the shows that you used to watch years ago that centered around a family, for example. And what did those shows look like? Okay, you got Ward and June Cleaver, remember, and Wally and the Beave, you know, everything else. There ain't many shows like that anymore, are there? No, in fact, that kind of family is generally made fun of today in a lot of ways. Uh, a lot of the, the, the shows that are centered around family life today look very different and, and generally uh, center around a, what we would consider a biblically dysfunctional family in many respects. Um, and so, it, man, it, it's changing all the time. And so, again, this is an area where we as Christ followers, as the church, need to hold firm and model to the world around us what a family looks like, what that looks like. Um, I, you know, we could talk for a long time about some of the, uh, the, the sociological impacts of this very thing in our society. Uh, you study gangs, for example. One of the reasons that, that uh, gangs uh, are so prolific in many respects is because uh, these, these young people uh, long for a family. And they find in this gang a sense of belonging, a sense of family, a family unit there. And so there is that natural longing for that type of relationship. And as a church, uh, we, we need to be intentional uh, about modeling this thing of a godly biblical family to the world around us. Now let's talk thoroughly this morning about the structure of the family. I love the fact that God is a God of order. God's not a God of chaos. Again, God did not put this family idea out there and just kind of say, here, y'all do your best. And he gave us some structure. And in our text, Paul affirmed the value and the importance of, and this is important, of every person, every family member. The article affirms the value and the importance of every person. When it reads, the husband and wife are of equal worth before God. In verse number 21 of Ephesians chapter 5 here, both are told to submit to one another in the Lord. So there's this, this mutual uh, respect, we might say, all right? This, this understanding that we both have equal value, okay? That's what the world misses a lot of times, and, and I think sometimes we do a poor job of communicating biblical truth in this regard. I've had couples come to me through the years, and, and we start planning their wedding, and one of the things that, you know, comes up sometimes is, now, you're not going to make me say something about submitting to him, are you? You know, that kind of stuff. That, that's fairly common nowadays, that's because there's a misunderstanding of what God's word teaches here. We, we, you know, people immediately think of some sort of a subservient role where you're like a doormat and you know, I get to, you know, to, to look down upon you. Or, I mean, that, that is not what God's word teaches here at all. Um, you'll notice even the unborn are of equal worth before God here. Of, of, of value and importance. God's design, God's way, is that every person is of equal value before God. That's supported throughout all of Scripture. And again, we have to recognize that the world in which we live doesn't see it that way. We know that. I, I can remember vividly a number of years ago when the Promise Keepers movement was, was really at its height. Uh, I took a group of men from our church in South Texas to Houston for a Promise Keepers event. And 
And man, the, during that time, we were just getting hit in the face with some great biblical teaching about honoring our wives and being servant leaders in our homes. And I remember one talk particularly where uh, the, the, the speaker used the illustration of a Stradivarius violin and how valuable it was and how you would handle it differently than you would you know, some worthless piece of junk and everything. And he was, he was likening that to how we should value our wives and how we should you know, provide for them and take care of them. And just, I mean, I was just... I, I mean, I left there. I had just been wrecked by some of this teaching. And, but as we were leaving during a break in these sessions, we, we'd jump in the van to go grab some lunch. We, we were met with this, this group of protesters holding up these signs because they completely misunderstood what, what we were being taught. I mean, you know, I mean, they were holding up signs like, you know, you, wife haters. Wife, I mean, just, just all kinds of hateful language. And I'm like, this is not anything of what we've been taught here. And so we understand there's this, this disconnect in many respects uh, between what God's Word teaches, certainly, and what the world understands God's Word teaches. And so as we look at this thing of leadership and, and headship, there are a couple things we need to consider. First of all, we want to affirm that Jesus is the head of the family. Jesus is the head of the family. This passage and the Baptist faith and message both affirm the lordship or the, or the headship of Jesus over every person, every institution, every family, and the church. And so just like the church does not function properly unless every part of it is under the headship or the lordship of Jesus, neither does the family. And as I look back over the course of my ministry and, and the, the amount of family counseling that I've done through the years, it always goes back to this thing right here. This is a family that is not functioning under the headship, under the lordship of Jesus Christ. That in many cases is the issue. It's one of the foundational truths that we see here as it relates to family life. Jesus is the head of the family. But as we look at the text, I think it's important to also emphasize here that the husband is the leader of the family. Ephesians 5.22, Paul wrote, Wives... Submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Verse 24, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands. Again, affirming the headship of the family as the husband. Now, a lot of times we guys, we like to stop right there. Okay, let's just stop at verse 24. Don't, don't read any further. Because verse number 25 says, husbands, love your wives. Just like Christ loved the church. Now, is that a tall order or what? Yeah, so let's make a clarification here. First of all, Paul is writing to a group, okay? Don't think that because he says husbands love your wives, he's talking about you know, plural marriages or polygamy or anything like that. He's writing to a group, okay? So he's up there. If he was saying this in the singular, he would say, husband, love your wife, okay? Um, now, as wives submit, husbands are to love and to serve the wife as Christ loved and served the church. Here's the thing about this issue that I think we get mixed up many times. Whenever we see the structure that God has put in place for the family, many times we want to put the emphasis on the authority. And there is an element of authority that's, that's found here, Okay. But we want to shine the spotlight on authority. We want to highlight authority. We want to circle authority. We want to put a star by authority when in reality we should be putting the spotlight and the highlighter and the star beside responsibility. And we've all heard it said, and if, if, you, if you grew up in a home anything like mine, you've heard that along with privilege or authority comes what? Responsibility, right? 
And so really what needs to be emphasized here is not that the greater authority is given to the man, but the greater responsibility is given to the man. And the man, I believe, will be held chiefly responsible, accountable for the spiritual direction of his family. We're to take the lead. I pray every day that, that godly men would step up and lead their family spiritually. It's one of the issues that we have in the church today that it just, it's, I mean, it's mind-boggling to, to realize. I, I love the fact that Fred Luter, a few years ago when he, was, uh, he walked into a church that he was called the pastor there outside of New Orleans, I think it was, and, and he said, man, where are the men? Where in the world are the men? And he's an African-American pastor, and he's, he says, particularly in the African-American culture, we, we just don't have... And so he said, I, I've got to reach these guys. I've got to reach these men. And so he said, you know, guys like to watch a fight a lot of times. And so he said, the next fight that comes on, I'm going to pay for it on pay-per-view, and I'm going to invite all those guys over to my house to just to watch the fight. And he started reaching those men because he realized the importance of reaching these men for Christ. Uh, and, and that's what we see here in the structure. Now, you'll also notice the importance of in our leadership demonstrating servant leadership. That's a biblical principle that you find throughout Scripture. It's not just in the context of family life. It's in the context of church life. We have a, a, a body of deacons who are servant leaders of the church. Yes, they are spiritual leaders, but they are servant leaders within the church. And so this is a, a biblical principle. Now, the Baptist faith and message, remember, was originally written in 1925, revised in 1963, revised again in 2000. Well, this statement on the family was added in 1998. Some of you remember that. Uh, and and it, was, it was put in, inserted, because of the need for clarity in our society at that point about uh, the, the, the family. And you might remember that when this statement was adopted that it created quite a stir. It created a bit of an uproar. Uh, the media, the secularists, the feminists, they, they all, I mean, they, they, they laughed at us is basically what they did. Uh, they thought that, that we were horrible for the wording of this statement. And again, it comes back to a misunderstanding of biblical truth here. And I think we've got to be careful that we don't misunderstand biblical truth. And so, guys, if you're one of those men who thinks in your home, and your family, that you are large and in charge and your family pretty much exists to serve you, you've got it all wrong. You're to be a servant leader in your home. A servant leader. Now, let's talk about the purpose of the family, number four. The purpose of the family. Again, our text and the Baptist faith and message help us by pointing us to God's purposes for the family. We're going to address five of those very quickly as we close this morning's message. Number one is to model how God relates to his people and how Christ relates to the church. That's the beauty of this teaching here. Um, and so in verse number 25 and then in verse number 32, uh, we see God is giving us a model, an example of how he works with his people and how Christ works with his church. The model goes both ways. The pattern of family and the pattern of husband and wife is to follow that pattern. And then the church, it, we see it should, that's, that's how it's to function. Okay, and so to, to model how God relates to his people and Christ relates to his church. There's a second purpose, and that is companionship for the man and the woman. Companionship. The article reads this way. It says, to provide for the man and the woman in marriage the framework for intimate companionship. Um, I, I love hanging out with my wife. It, we even went to Walmart on Friday, y'all. 
Now, some of you guys know what kind of a sacrifice that is, right? Now, I, I don't especially like going to Walmart, but I do love hanging out with my wife. I, I love pushing the little buggy around while she puts stuff in, and I slip a few things in there, too. But I, just, I love being with my wife. I, and I, I told her on the way into Walmart, she can tell you, I told her this Friday on the way, I said, I love the fact that you're my best friend. I just love that. I think that's one of the purposes of marriage. Now, I realize that you probably heard it said that dog is man's best friend. Okay? I recently read how you could test that theory, guys. What you do is you grab your dog and your wife at the same time, and you throw them into the trunk of your car and slam the lid. All right? Wait about 20 minutes. Go back and open the lid. And which one do you think will be the happier to see you? <laughs> now, now, guys, if you are dumb enough to do that, you had better make sure you have a good dog and you have a good dog house so that you'll at least have one friend and a place to sleep. <laughs> no, dog is not man's best friend, okay? As much companion as they, in a companionship as they can provide. God has designed it so that in marriage, the husband and wife become one flesh. It's a fulfilling companionship of being on the same page spiritually, doing life together. And that's essentially what we do as a church family, isn't it? We do life together. We bear one another's burdens and in doing so fulfill the law of Christ. And, and we rejoice when one rejoices and we weep when one weeps. And that's, that's, again, it's a picture of what we see in family life. Here's a third purpose. Sexual expression and intimacy. Now, the Baptist faith and message reads the channel of sexual expression according to biblical standards. Okay, so we know this. Let's make it clear. God's standard, God's place, God's channel for sexual expression is for one man and one woman within marriage. It always has been and always will be. So within the relationship of husband and wife, we know that, 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 that sex is beautiful and it's holy and it's wonderful. But anything outside of that, any sexual expression outside of that relationship is unholy and is sinful. Okay, now, we've got to be careful in today's culture particularly that we don't cherry pick certain things. Okay, we want to many times put the, you know, the spotlight of sinfulness on homosexuality, for example, or something like that, all the while ignoring the fact that there are people living in adultery or committing fornication. Okay, this is God's standard. We've got to understand that while the world is at work to redefine sexuality and sexual intimacy and all those things, to redefine it in terms of partners and to redefine it in terms of timing and to redefine it in terms of, of purpose, we, again, this is that, uh, one of those areas where we have to lovingly, but yet boldly and courageously hold firm. Hold firm. And so we have to live and teach and serve according to God's design. Let me just say a word real quickly to some of you who are single this morning. All right? Be patient. Be patient. Get on God's design with this. It is worth the wait. There are a lot of blessings when you allow the sexual expression of intimacy, the sexual expression of your life to be within God's design. Be patient. Do it the way that God would have you do it. Okay? Again, 
from counseling experience, I can tell you, I, I've sat with people heartbroken, heartbroken, crying their eyes out because they chose to do it a different way and they've paid the price. Okay, there are those of you who are married. Okay, in that you should enjoy your spouse in the Lord. Amen? Enjoy the beauty and the adventure of sexual intimacy and expression within the beautiful relationship that God has provided you. Sexual expression and intimacy is one of the purposes of marriage and family. And then with that, another purpose is procreation. In Genesis, Adam and Eve were told to be fruitful and multiply. Baptist Faith and Message reads, to provide for the man and the woman in marriage the means for procreation of the human race. And so again, children from the moment of conception are a blessing and a heritage from the Lord. Producing godly offspring is a purpose of marriage. Now I recognize that God doesn't uh, provide children for, for every couple. Okay, and so there are other means as God leads and directs adoption, which we talked about earlier. Okay, they're, 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 so... But, but procreation is one of the purposes of, of the marriage, of marriage. And let's finally close with this. It's for the nurture of family and children. Now, what's been happening for way too long is that people have said, well, you know what? We will, we'll feed those kids, and we'll keep clothes on them, and we'll keep a roof over their head, and we'll make sure that they get some education, and, and we'll do all that stuff, but, but we're going to have the church educate our chid, kids in the Bible. We're, we're going to let the church do this spiritual stuff. We'll take care of all these other things, and then we'll have you. You know what? We're willing to partner with you in that, and we're willing to be faithful to the gospel, and certainly as a church family, as a church body, we want to be biblically based and Christ-centered and gospel-driven. But the primary means for their spiritual upbringing is the home is the home. And so there should be a consistency. Okay. And this isn't something that you just do sporadically or, or when, you know, you, you kind of get this, uh, you know, this whim to, Hey, we probably, you know, in fact, for years, people have asked me as a pastor, Hey, what have you done? Um, you know, for your like, family devotion time. And there's a big part of me that wants to go pretty much. I've failed at that because we just have not done very well at having a set time on a certain night of the week when we sat down and dad like preached a little mini sermon or did a devotional with the family or we've done different things through the years but you you know what really scripture tells us you go back all the way to Deuteronomy chapter 6 to the Shema it says you're supposed to love the Lord your God with all your heart soul mind and strength and you're to teach these things diligently to your children and you're to do it as you do life Okay, so, so let's say you go to a movie, and maybe there was a theme introduced in that movie, okay, that maybe your kids weren't familiar with, and maybe they had some questions about, and so, so you begin a conversation about this. You know what you need to do? You, you need to guide them to biblical truth as it relates to whatever that issue is. Hey, you're, you pick them up from school, and you're heading home, and one of your kids in the back seat says, you know, so-and-so sure was mean to so-and-so today, and they put, you know... And that's a great time to do some biblical teaching. You know, the Bible says that if a person's going to have friends, then they need to show themselves friendly. You know, this is something that we're to do as we do life. As we do life. That's why scripture says, when you rise, when you sit, when you eat, when you walk, when you talk. I mean, it's to be a part of our lives. Okay, and so your kids shouldn't grow up thinking, well, you know, 
all week, we kind of live like this. But then Sunday comes, and we live like this. And then the week rolls around, and then, then, then Monday through Friday, we, you know, and then it shouldn't be that way. There should be a consistency as you train and nurture your children in the Lord. That's what God's Word is teaching us here. So what a wonderful God we serve. He designs, he plans, he puts in place all that we need to do family life well. I mean, he's the architect after all. And so so let's seek to live in his design. There's not a greater area where we can exhibit Christ-likeness than in our homes and our families. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church Van Alstine. FBCVA is located at 121 East Marshall Street in Van Alstine, Texas, or you can visit us online at www.fbcva.com. Be sure to visit the Sermon Archive for more messages from this and other series.